as we look back on history of God's people, Israel, we see all kinds of interesting characters, right? God raised up all these people for a specific moment in time to accomplish his plans and his purpose. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned um, King David, who God, you know, raised up to slay the giant Goliath, um, to defeat the Philistines and their army. Um, we see Moses, who God used to lead the Israelites, again, his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, we have all these incredible people uh, throughout uh, the history of the world that God used in profound ways um, for a certain time. But then we see God do something really interesting, you guys. He raises up two powerful people groups, the Babylonians and the Persians, who are actually in direct opposition to God's people, the Israelites. And they end up capturing them and exiling the Israelites. Many of us know this story. Now, it's not crazy to believe that the Israelites would question God's faithfulness, right? We wouldn't hold that against them because they're literally exiled for 70 years from their homeland. And I don't know about you guys, but what I'm not hearing from God, you know, even after 24 hours, I'm like, God, are you even there anymore? Are you still in control of my life? But this was actually a really important period in the history of God's people because both the exile and the return and restoration of the Israelites are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. And we've been talking a little bit about prophecies these last few weeks. I wanted to share just the prophetic word made in, in Daniel 9.2. He says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So this is Daniel. This is a prophecy that's being made that we see that's fulfilled. So what we're seeing here with these two people groups is God actually using these political powers as his own agents of judgment against the Israelites for their own idolatry. And then we fast forward to the events surrounding Jesus' life in the New Testament. And we see... Um, we see him faced with the same questions surrounding, surrounding God's control. Because if you've ever read any of the stories around the life of Jesus, um, from the outside looking in, Jesus was passed around like a pawn in a chess game between the people, the Jewish leaders, and then Pilate and the Roman government. And then Jesus is not only mocked and murdered, but he's then crucified in the most humiliating way possible by being crucified on a cross. So is this really what it looks like for our God to be in control of the situation? Is this really the narrative that God was writing? Why would he allow the events of history to play out in the way that it did? Now, thankfully, you and I have the advantage of looking back on history and seeing what even Jesus' closest friends and disciples could not see at the time, which was that God's hand was sovereign and it was in all of it. Not only was God orchestrating this elaborate plan to rescue and redeem his chosen people, but he was actually doing what he said he was going to do all along. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to fulfill the Jewish promises of a coming king. 
And then what we find in scripture is that these promises are so much greater than anyone could have ever hoped or dreamed, you guys. In the last chapter, the gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, in chapter 28, which is the last chapter of the book, we see Jesus commission his disciples by saying this. And these are famous words from Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then a lot of you memorize the verse, you know the rest. But you guys, what we see here isn't just Jesus declaring kingship over the Israelites, but in fact, over all of the nations. He's declaring his status as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I want us to just spend a little bit of time here um, tonight exploring the implications of this because they're profound, um, of Jesus being the king of kings and what this actually means for you and I in our daily lives. And for the first, um, the first thing I want us to consider is what kind of king was it that the Israelites desired? Because I believe that it very much speaks into our own desires today. Now to answer this, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel 8. So if you guys are taking notes, that'd be the first verse to write down. 1 Samuel 8. And what we see here is God's people, the Israelites, asking Samuel, who we're told was a great you know, man of faith, he was a prophet, um, to find a king who would rule over them like the other nations of the day. Now, even though both God and Samuel knew that this was a terrible idea, they were so adamant about it that God, being an absolutely loving and generous God, essentially gave the people over to their heart's desires, right? And he gave them a king who was named Saul. Now, if you know anything about Saul um, and the lineup of kings that came after him, um, it didn't really pan out well. He was not the greatest of kings. Um, in fact, very few kings succeeded um, as kings as they um, actually all had quite a bit of moral failings along the way. And you can read about those in the Old Testament. Even King David, who we read about as... Um, you know, being a, a man after God's own heart, he too, um, in the end, failed as a king. And yet, regardless of both Samuel and God's warnings, the people were insistent that they needed a king like all of the other nations. Even though the one true king had made himself completely and fully available to them. Because of their sin, because of their unwillingness to trust God, they wanted to look like everyone else. And here's a hard reality, you guys. We all do the exact same thing, don't we? It's not that we necessarily want a different king ruling over us, but we ourselves want to be king over our own lives, don't we? We see the freedom that other people have and we want it too, right? We use things like money and attention, all of these things to feed these selfish ambitions, these selfish desires, because we want to be king over our own lives. We want to reign over our hearts. Some of us want to be king of our households. I know there are some of 
you who are even married and you're like, I just, I, I want to be king, you know? It's like the Lion King song. It's, it feels so good to be king, right? It was so hard when I was writing this. Not, it's just like over and over, that was just on a loop, the Lion King. But some of us, you know, we want to be, be king of our routines, right? We want to be king over our relationships. I know for me, more times than not, I want to be king over my schedule. I want to be the king of my free time to do what I want to do, right? I even want to be king of my attitude and my feelings, right? I mean, after all, they're my feelings, so I should be able to dictate those feelings, right? Because if I'm king over every area of my life, then I really never have to surrender or sacrifice any part of my own self, do I? I don't run the risk of sacrificing, sacrificing my own time or my own energy for someone else. If I'm king over every area of my life, well, then I must be in control of it too, right? Or at least that's what we tell ourselves. But rarely do I really feel like I'm in control of anything, right? You know, even just a couple weeks ago, um, I was just having, you know, one of those really rough days where I very much felt that the enemy was coming after me and my identity and I was feeling completely overwhelmed, you know, just really struggling with a lot of things. Um, I mean, I was literally on the couch, like crying one minute and then my wife would have me laughing and then like 30 seconds later, I'd be crying and I'm like, I don't know my emotions. <laughs> um, but in that moment, what I realized was that I did not have control, you guys. As much as I thought I had control over my emotions, over my schedule, all of these things, I really didn't have any control over it. And the lesson that I took away from this was that I have to be willing to acknowledge my limits as a human being. That's it. Because every one of us is going to come up against walls in our faith journey, and we have to be ready to acknowledge when we can't get past on our own. Where the only way through or around the situation is actually by surrendering. Surrendering to the one who is greater than me. We have to be willing, you guys, to admit we've come to the end of ourselves because we all will eventually. And we have to learn to simply say, Lord, I, I'm helpless without you. Your will be done in my life. That maybe that's how we need to be starting our day is God, not my will, but your will be done today. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, um, I love always going back to the Garden of Eden. And what we see here is God declares that, it's really interesting. He's going to create human beings in his image and in his likeness, right? And then God says something really profound. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So when God says, let them have dominion, he's saying, as the ones uniquely made in my image, in my likeness, I'm appointing you as ruler over my kingdom. So God gave Adam 
and eventually Eve all of the power of a king, but with one exception. And I think most of us can guess what that was. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? It was off limits. Now God, again, being a good, gracious, and loving king, knew what would happen if they disobeyed, which they did, right? We all know this. And as a result, their lowercase t throne was ripped out from under them, right? Sin entered into the kingdom and human kings never again stood a chance. Because of sin, that position of authority, that lower K king ship, if we can call it that, here on earth, has been completely compromised. In other words, because of our sin, no one on earth is ever going to be able to rule, to reign, or to lead perfectly. And this has so many implications, you guys. And I'm not just talking about leaders. I'm talking about ourselves, you know, in our day-to-day lives. We are fooling ourselves if we think that we can for one second um, rule as these, you know, lower K kings of our own lives. We're just lying to ourselves. And yet how often do we continue to live as if we are still in control? As if that position of power hasn't been completely compromised or we're still expecting perfection from our friends, from our family members, from our coworkers, from our professors, even from ourselves. Scripture has made it abundantly clear that because of our brokenness, because of our sin, we will never reach perfection on this side of eternity. And yet how many of us are still striving for it? I say this pretty much every week, guys, but we will never arrive on this side of eternity. And God doesn't expect us to. The Christian life is not about arriving. It is about Christ's likeness. It is about relationship with him. Without King Jesus, we are helpless, you guys. It is only through the finished work of the cross that we are saved. By acknowledging him on his rightful throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Romans 3, 23, 24 reminds us, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet all are justified freely by his grace. By his grace, you guys. Through the redemption of his son, Christ Jesus. So if we continue to hold people up to this unreachable and unattainable standard, we're probably going to be depressed. And honestly, we're probably going to end up alone because we're holding people up to these unmeasurable standards that we ourselves cannot even match or reach. No one can live under that kind of pressure because we were not meant to be kings, you guys. I know how hard and difficult you guys um, can be on yourselves um, because I'm the same way on myself, um, you know, if I set a goal for myself and I don't reach it or exceed it, 
then I completely turn in on myself, you guys. But the pressure is off with Christ. He is perfect so that we do not have to be. He is the rightful king reigning over our lives because we were never meant to rule over our own lives. You guys, that voice that is telling you that you are unworthy, that you're unlovable, that you are unwanted, that is the voice of the enemy, you guys. And it is simply not true. First Peter 5.8 warns us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You guys, he spends every waking moment coming after you. And that's just a reality. So if we do not take the time to let God speak into our lives, that still small voice that we know of the Father, if you do not take the time to get quiet before the Lord, the voice of the enemy is going to define you. And you're gonna start believing it after a little while if you don't already. But here's the good news, you guys. Jesus, the king of the universe, sees you and he wants to speak into each and every one of your lives. And if you do not know him yet, he wants to get to know you because it is a relationship that he wants desperately, so desperately to have with each and every one of you. The king has made himself in his presence completely available to you and to me. There are no walls to climb. You know, we think of a kingdom. There's no walls to scale. There's no moat to get over or get around. Jesus has made his kingdom completely available to you. And he wants to tell you how absolutely adored and worthy every single one of you guys are. Worthy to be loved and to be known by the king himself. The king of the universe wants to know you, you guys. How insane is that? He wants to be the first person to speak into your life when you wake up and the last voice that you hear when your head hits the bed. We have got to stop looking to the imperfect people in our lives to lead us perfectly because it's never going to happen. And we're only going to be disappointed. We already have a king, a king who stepped into our absolute mess of human history in the person of Jesus. When Jesus arrived on earth, he said this, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand and believe, repent and believe in the gospel. He was saying that the kingdom of God, you guys, was at hand because he himself, as the future king of that kingdom, had already come down to them. And this brings me to the, the last thing I want to consider tonight, you guys. Which is that if Jesus is king, what kind of king is he? Because he's not like any king that we've ever seen. He's not insecure like King Saul was. 
or self-possessed like King David. He's not threatened by our words like King Nebuchadnezzar. Try to say that name three times fast. He's not even overwhelmed, you guys, by the future. Can you imagine that, to not be overwhelmed by your future? He is the one whose hand laid the foundation of the earth, Isaiah 48, 13, whose right hand spread out the heavens and yet whose throne was approach, we can approach boldly, Hebrews 4, 26. When we look at the kings of ancient history, you guys, we get, or we see a lot of, of selfishness, right? Kings would make their demands. They would throw out these incredibly difficult requests right? And they would expect everyone to meet them, to follow them, you know, blindly, but not King Jesus. Instead, Jesus throws a feast and he invites every single one of us to the table. Instead of sending an army out on his behalf, he walks into battle on our behalf. Instead of being selfish like so many kings before and after, he chose instead to be self-sacrificing. To sacrifice himself for the sake of his kingdom. And in Matthew 2.2, we find the wise men saying of the newborn King Jesus, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Jesus was never just another pawn caught up in the power struggle of history, was he? He is, as Ephesians 1.20 says, seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Guys, you may feel like your world is spinning absolutely out of control. Like your plans have gotten so far off track that there is no getting back. But as God's word has promised us, Jesus is still on his rightful throne. And you guys, we always have to put truth before us before we respond, Okay? If the Bible says that it's true, then we have to believe that it's true, which, which causes us to respond to it, right? Romans 8, 28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, which brings me to my last challenge for you guys this week which is to simply wake up and lay your agenda before the feet of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about like, the, I'm not talking about the calendar, not just the calendar. I'm talking about your day to day. You know, that small list that you make where you check off, this is what I'm doing today. Lay that before the feet of Jesus and surrender it to him and see how he shows up for you. Because I promise you, he will. Let him be the king of your life one day at a time and see how it changes your mindset. 
because as we just read, if we love him, if we seek after him, he has promised us that he will always show up for each and every one of us. Amen.